Welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, legitimately one of my favorite vocalists of all time, the lead singer of the band I Spy, probably way better known as being a member of Propagandi, but today... You know, we pretty much talk mainly about I Spy. We get a little into propaganda. Anyway, Todd Kowalski is here on the program, and it's a doozy. He's also one of my favorite visual artists as well. He's he's like a genius visual artist. Anyway, we'll talk about this in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer, and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. Tristan, thank you for all the hard work you do for the show each and every week. And he will get the message to me. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Damien. If you want to support the show, you can do that by uh, telling all your friends about it, subscribing to it, and rating it on the platform you listen to it on. And thank you to everyone that does that. You can also head over to patreon.com slash turnedoutapunk. And really, I... Really, really, really thank you to everyone that does that. I cannot thank you enough for supporting the show in that way. It really keeps it going. And also, on that note, thank you to the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, do what you do. And they've let me do what I do. And they keep supporting me doing that. And we're not a big podcast over here, um, but they, they help me do this without, you know, having to go to my own pocket to do it, which has been great because... Lately, I've been, <laughs> it takes a lot of time to do this many shows, but that's why this one's a little bit late. Uh, I've just, uh, yeah, it's been, anyway, well, thank you to Vance. Thank you. Uh, that's it. Uh, uh, also, in terms of plugs, check out over on floodmagazine.com, the stuff I did a few years ago, which has been coming out, Punk as Fuck, uh, Punk AF. Uh, it's a series of videos that was shot in Los Angeles and uh, yeah, a lot of great stuff on it. There's, you know, Steve Albini and, and, and Don Voles at Roscoe's chicken and waffles, uh, hanging out with people that have been on the show before hanging out with people that haven't been on the show before, like, like bleached who I've wanted to talk to Jennifer from bleached on the show forever. But you know, I talked to her for that. So anyway, check out those videos and, uh, and that, that, that's it. Oh, you know, check out The Wrestlers. If you haven't seen The Wrestlers, it was this wrestling TV show I did, and now it's uh, on demand through Vice was the broadcaster, but if you have any sort of subscription TV series, it's, it's, it's on demand. I noticed it on demand tonight when I was trying to find something else to watch, and Lauren wouldn't let me watch myself on TV, you know? She's like, no, we've seen it enough. But I get, I get, but it was pretty, you know, it's on there. So check it out if you have not seen it. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, Todd Kowalski of the incredible, incredible I Spy. I Spy are one of my favorite, as I said off the top, one of my favorite bands of all time. Now, in the episode, I think I get it confused and I describe the uh, Propagandi I Spy split as being like a one-track CD with the I, tra- I Spy tracks first. I think I'm thinking of the week, uh, the John K. Sampson painted thin split, but no, there, I think this was like divided into tracks. But anyway, when I got to the I spy songs on this CD, oh my God, it blew my mind. And there's something about Todd's voice, the songwriting. If you have never heard I spy, check it out. There was a reissue package done 
way back when in the 90s of all their stuff, a complete discography put up by G7 called The Perversity is Spreading. That is on streaming services, and I don't think it's in print anymore, physical form, but oh, they are an incredible band, super underrated. But as I said off the top, he is much better known as being a member of Propagandi. Uh, and yeah, Propagandi are a band, you know, they're one of the most significant punk bands, uh, you know, the last few decades, you know, like I would say since the nineties, I'm, I'm hard pressed to think of too many more bands that are more significant than them. They're, uh, a, a band that I'm a massive fan of. I'm not alone in that. I think a lot of people are huge fans of them and they're also a band in all my dealings with them are really people that aren't just singing about this stuff, but are really living it and getting to know some of them a little bit over the years. It's been truly like one of those incredible rare experiences where you get to meet the people and they actually exceed your, your hopes and expectations of what they'll be like as people. They're just super cool people. And so if you haven't heard him yet, check out George's episode and, and check out Chris's two episodes as well too. And next, I need to get Sue Lin on so uh, I can complete having all the members of Propaganda on the show because they're, you know, as I said, they're one of the most important punk bands uh, ever, ever. All right. And I Spy, going back and listening to I Spy this week. Oh, oh my gosh, that band hits me hard. That band is still so important to me. Okay, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Todd Kowalski on Turned Out a Punk. Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, as I was just telling you off air, and I've, I've told you this in person too, so at the risk of being redundant for a second time, you are a massive influence on uh, me and my band, and also uh, I Spy is one of the greatest Canadian hardcore bands ever. Ah, thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Well, I got to start this off, though, the way they all start off, which is, Todd, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah, well, I guess the very first time was just seeing it on TV or something. I just thought it was totally stupid. I don't know if I saw, like, 70s punk or what. I was just a little kid. Yeah. So it always just <laughs> stuck in my mind. It just, uh, just seemed barren and lame or something or unmusical. And then uh, I think when I was in grade 9, I think grade 9... Yeah, this kid had a Dead Kennedys tape that I listened to on his Walkman in the hallway. I thought it sounded pretty cool. And then I heard, uh, yeah, my friend brought a, a Degla Abortions tape to class. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, okay, this is awesome. It also seemed like all offensive and all crazy, you know, just what you kind of want to hear at that age, you know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, and what were you into kind of before that stuff? Uh, metal, you know, like... Uh, Kiss was the first, well, yeah, Kiss was the first, like, really thing that I loved, like, 100%. Then Priest, uh, yeah, Priest next, and Motley Crue and that, and then all those bands kind of started getting worse, you know, like, they started, uh, <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know what year they got worse, I think it was, like, 85, maybe was the end of that, and I started listening to, like, uh, Venom and possessed and slayer all that stuff and then exodus uh yeah and then that just kind of yeah just kind of my metal started getting heavier and then punk seemed more real and more 
more earthy than even thrash, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, death metal and black metal and speed metal and all that. So, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I was 100% in. I just, and the, the punk bands I first heard were like, you know, like Daglo, uh, COC and uh, like all that stuff, you know, so I was, like, it was so metallic, like the accused. I love the accused. They were probably my favorite of them all at the time. Mm hmm uh, all that stuff, you know? So like, to me, it was just like an extension of thrash, you know? And so where were you getting into the thrash stuff from the metal stuff? Cause like, obviously they weren't really playing that on much music that much. I can imagine. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I just saw Venom, just saw Venom records in the store and, uh, Razor actually the first Razor, my friend came across, he lived across the alley. He just walked across the alley and with, uh, evil invaders. And he was like, <laughs> you got to hear this. It's in the Guinness Book of the World Records for the fastest singer in the world, <laughs> which it, which which he made up, you know. But, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And I heard Celtic Frost at his house, uh, Morbid Tales, and uh, my friend Ryan Giles down the down the alley. Yeah, he had a uh, Slayer. Uh, uh, what's uh, Haunting the Chapel? Yeah, he listened. We listened to that that actually didn't sound like music to me when I first heard it. I was just like, what is this? But I was like intrigued, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember he kind of like, he, he decided it was evil and threw it down the stairs like a Frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of went and retrieved it. Uh, yeah. And we just kept listening and then decided, yeah, that was music and it was cool. Uh, you know what I mean? Just like, it just took more spins to understand it sort of. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And Venom. I guess I I'd heard Motorhead and stuff because I remember uh, when I heard Venom, I thought it sounded like a just kind of a more evil Motorhead. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's you know it's hard to remember the exact chain of events, but that's the rough that's the rough overview, you know. And so, what was happening as far as local bands going on? Were there like any metal bands kind of playing locally, or or even some early punk bands you were getting into? Uh the first. Regina punk bands that I saw was a band called Insight, which were trying to be kind of like SNFU. Uh, and then uh, there was a, uh, I guess, death metal band, Thrash Crossover, whatever it was at the time, called uh, Unlawful Assembly. And oh, yeah. Like, they were amazing. They're still, like, I still, when I think of great Canadian bands, like, to me, I think of Unlawful Assembly. They just, they never recorded or else I think... You know what I mean? They would get glory somehow. Like if they would have recorded and had a video that was on much music, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some somewhere online, there's a video up in uh, 1987 of me at one of their shows. And you can just see, see me in this red hoodie stage diving every five or six seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you just have yeah, you type it into YouTube. Yeah, because it's there's not that many bands that got recorded, uh, like sadly from Regina or even uh, Saskatoon, like you know maybe the Northern Pikes and the Extroverts a little bit, but like, yeah, like there weren't that many of the early bands. It seems like they were documented outside of maybe tapes, I guess. No, yeah, and there was another band uh, called like Band B A N N E D that I remember. Okay. Yeah, I think those were like the. Yeah, the punk bands that I can, like, I know I'm missing one, you know, or something, but uh, those were the first, the first three that I saw were those ones. What was the first concert you went to? It doesn't have to be punk, obviously, but like just concert in general. Uh, first concert was uh, Kiss, Animalized Tour in 1980, 
84, I think, 84. I was in grade six. So did they do a Canadian tour on that record? Uh, they did, yeah. Yeah, if they came to Regina, I'm sure they went everywhere else. Yeah, I thought it was amazing. Blew my mind. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't believe I was standing there looking at Kiss and I was in the same room as them, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> I, like, I actually started listening to them when I saw Kiss Meets the Phantom and saw the bubblegum cards in, like, I think 1978 when I was, like, five or something. Me and my brother got into it. Uh, and then, yeah, my friend's dad had all the records, you know, and we kind of started getting into it. And then my cousin moved into my house and I actually had a kiss record of my own to listen to, you know, with her, her record. <laughs> I just sit there and watch her doing her, you know, we'd listen to kiss and she'd work on her diary or whatever. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. And then I saved up my money for three weeks and got kiss alive. Uh, that blew my mind to own my own kiss record, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the first record I bought. I was just, yeah, I couldn't believe it. It's just like my pride and joy. I, I couldn't believe I had a record, you know, and yeah, just in my hands that like was owned by me. Yeah, it's wild. It's like amazing how perfectly marketed that band was to like teenagers, like from like, you know, like even before you're a teenager, you've got trading cards, yeah. got movies, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that stuff actually ushered in the little kids like myself, you know, mm-hmm. kind of almost ushered out some of the teenagers. Like I think their earlier records were more raw on that and, you know, by the time they made their, like, by the time Destroyer came, their original fans were kind of upset. And then, yeah, and then the kiddies started piling on. But the the cool thing about all the kiddies piled on, like, teenagers might not think it's cool, but, like, it changed so many little kids' lives, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like, like it informed a next generation. <laughs> and, like, as yeah. a fan, that's, like, perfect. Like, you build your fan base out of the younger kids. You realize you're not going to be cool forever with the teenagers. So start looking yeah. at the preteens. <laughs> Yeah, like five-year-olds. It's yeah, five-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. Comic books and cartoons. They were like yeah, Scooby-Doo yeah. episodes. I had the comics. Or yeah, both comics. Number one, I went Happers with my friend. We'd just pass it back and forth uh, <laughs> every second. That was our plan was to pass it back and forth every week, you know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> the best laid plans of kids. Yeah. Um, so where'd you kind of go from this, uh, you know, from hearing these, these punk tapes, like, were there, were there bands coming through on tour? Like, I guess SNFU and DOA would have been touring through, I imagine. Yeah. And, uh, the first punk show I was at was actually, uh, Gangrene and Goo Goo Dolls. Oh, what a show. Yeah, it was awesome. So that was, yeah, that was 88, uh, according to my shirt. Uh, well, for sure it was 88. And then, yeah, there was the Doughboys uh snfu were kind of unbelievable uh the other show that i thought was the best show i've ever seen in my life was beyond possession from calgary mm-hmm. yeah like by the time i saw dri and all that like i was so excited to see dri but in reality like i was almost like i was like oh beyond possession is way better you know what i mean yeah yeah just like I, and dri was awesome of course but like i just beyond possession blew my mind like 100% blew my mind. It's funny. Cause like when the Melvins guys were on, they talk about beyond possession being like one of the best oh. bands they ever saw. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Well, they went on tour. Yeah. The first tour ever that the Melvins went on was RKL beyond possession and them. Oh, wow. Yeah. That'd, that'd be an awesome show to see. <laughs> It'd be a really weird tour. But like, I think like you're saying, it's one of those things that if maybe they were, you know, out of the Bay area or, or maybe even out of Texas, yeah. they would have like that kind of rep a little more. Yeah, and I was just, uh, 
talking to uh, uh, Kate and W. DePina from Hyrax. And, uh, yeah, the reason I got into Hyrax was because the guy from Beyond Possession had a Hyrax shirt on. And, yeah, Kate was talking about how they all gathered around to see Beyond Possession and just how much that blew their mind, too. Just uh, I think a lot of it had to do with the bass player and the drummer were so good and so tight. Like, uh, Caton called the bass player of Beyond Possession the Steve Harris of punk. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality, I think he's, like, maybe maybe better even. He's just so good, so fast. Like, just, like, one of those kind of outlandish things where you're, like, I, I can't even explain it. You're just like, this This is unbelievable. Yeah. It's funny when you go through, like, Canada's got, like, such a rich history of extreme metal coming out of here like obviously sacrifice you guys are very familiar with but like you know and slaughter and and like mal havoc and beyond possession and blasphemy it's just like it's so amazing how much stuff in that world comes out of here yeah i was really into uh, sudden impact too oh absolutely yeah uh yeah just so much stuff i i like infernal majesty they're they're kind of you know like seem like kind of dated and that now but i i thought I thought Infernal Majesty was really good too. So when did you start playing music? Uh, I guess grade five or six. My cousin had a guitar and he lent it. Yeah, I guess he was just done. He gave it to me. So I started banging away on that. And then I got my own guitar. And the day I got it, I was going nuts. And I fell and chipped it. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? I had my own guitar. I thought I'd rock so unbelievably hard. (laughs) Yeah, just so devastated to chip it on like I fell and hit it on the cement you know yeah I was just like oh man what have I done <laughs> that's how I started yeah and then yeah that was a blast though like just I, I don't know something about not knowing anything like I thought like a solo I just have to move my fingers really fast and not even play notes like I didn't understand music in any capacity <laughs> <laughs> So what was your first band that you did? Uh, the first band was KTK Warriors, Chris Todd Kenton Warriors. And uh, yeah, it was just my friend Chris. He was the only, he was a, lived across the alley. He's actually probably one reason why I started playing guitar. His dad was really good. He had all the Kiss records and, and Chris was insanely good at guitar. He still is. I think he won like even a canadian guitar wars or whatever oh wow yeah he's just like, he was in jazz he was playing jazz he's probably but be- honestly he's probably better than i am now when he was in grade six <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know like he was just good like straight around and yeah so but i was actually afraid to play in front of him and his dad you know yeah. like when when we had our band going i was just like oh like i just felt embarrassed you know mm-hmm. so it was like and he, he was kind of into like uh even as a kid, like Stevie Ray Vaughan and stuff, you know? Yeah. So, like, w- like we weren't into the, the same music. So, like, basically our band was, like, me playing maybe two notes, him playing chords. I remember him playing chords. We had three songs, actually, and then my friend Kenton on bass, and he didn't know, he didn't know, any, <laughs> and even a note, you know? Like, I remember seeing him pressing his finger on the frets, like, with, you know, one finger. Uh, yeah, that was the start. And then... Yeah, and actually, me and my friend Kenton had all kinds of imaginary bands. Like, I was looking at them the other day. Like, we'd write interviews to our own, or, yeah, interviews with ourselves, letters to our own fan club. <laughs> we had pictures, like, you know what I mean? Like, full-on, like, like all the studs, just everything. There was just imaginary metal bands. 
And then, uh, and then me, me and him, and this guy Jamie started another band in high school. We played in our uh, in the gym, and that we actually played a uh, uh, "Let's Drink Some Beer" by Gangrene. Oh, <laughs> we played that. We played that in the school gym. Uh, How'd that go yeah. over? How uh, was that lunch? Uh, be interesting to actually see. I kind of remember like there not being really too many people even came to check it out, you know? Yeah. yeah but, but as a kid, you're just so happy to be doing something that's like that, that you, it's almost irrelevant mm-hmm. that someone's there, you know? Mm-hmm. Were there a lot of kids in your high school or, or like around you that were also getting into this stuff? Or is it just sort of like a, a small group of people? Uh, in junior high, when we started, it was a truly small group of like maybe six kids you know yeah yeah basically four of us like me jamie kenton and my friend chad kind of and there's lots of kids into like ecdc and metal and all that after a while i started to not even consider those bands metal like i don't know why maybe just to mentally separate yourself from all the kids from what <laughs> what's happening but yeah like i thought ah, who cares whatever but it yeah, there's us, and then we got to high school. There was probably us, and then like a like a some mainstream heavy metal people like that, but not people into like Venom, Slayer. You know, it's like us, and then when we got to high school, maybe like five or six other kids. Yeah, so yeah, not many, but I would say like there would probably be a lot of people into Bon Jovi and ACDC and Rat. Not even Rat, but yeah, probably Rat. Probably, and Motley Crue, yeah, but but the the thrash bands was just this little group of people, and even but even amongst us, there was like, you know, like six of us were into thrash and punk, and then like maybe four were more into death metal than, uh, yeah, death metal was just kind of starting when I got, like, yeah, I just remember those guys just like not really liking the punk, you know, mm-hmm. just started like they liked. Uh, Oh, I can't even think of what they would have liked. Like just whatever the early, like early death metal, you know, or like maybe like just Slayer and stuff, you know. So were there like when when like a bigger show like the Goo Goo Dolls Gang Green type show came? How many kids would be at these shows? Uh, it's hard to say. I remember not many people watching Goo Goo Dolls, and I would say for Gang Green, like maybe it was 150 or something. Yeah. Uh, that, that seems to ring a bell because I have a newspaper clipping of the show. So <laughs> that's awesome. And I think I have an SFU one too, where it says 150. And then Goo Goo Dolls actually came back the next year, and there was only 20 people. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, and uh, government issue played Regina. There was like 15 or 20 people. Uh, that was awesome. That was amazing to see them though. Like, because there was no one there, like, Stab just kept giving me the mic, you know, I was singing little parts <laughs> of the songs, and yeah, it was kind of an amazing experience for me, and they were so tight, and so good, and so nice to me, uh, yeah, No Means No, I remember No Means No shows were always, like, completely packed at the university, so I would say that was probably 250 or something, mm-hmm. and I did my best stage dive of my life at No Means No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, which they probably don't even appreciate. But. I was going to say that might be the, the band that goes over the worst for, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least I managed to avoid getting uh, kicked in the ass by his boot, which I've seen a few times. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah and then SNFU is always awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So where were you getting records from? Were you ordering them, or is there like a store that kind of carried this stuff? Uh, there was Music Plus at first. That's where I would get like rare thrash stuff. I was, and then there was Records on Wheels. Uh, yeah, Music Plus was like, yeah, I felt like you, anything I, I I had heard of could be gotten at Music Plus. But those were the days when you had only a certain amount of allowance, you know. So you'd yeah. sit there and you'd be looking like man, which of these looks better, Destruction or Sodom or, you know, Destruction or, yeah, just like you're taking a total gamble. Mm -hmm. Like uh, even most bands that I loved, like I couldn't get all their records or else I wouldn't be able to hear something else, you know? Yeah, well, it's like you were saying earlier how you had to make that distinction on what was and wasn't metal. It's almost like you have to do that just because there's only so much money to go around at that time. It's not like now where you can't listen at all. Yeah, Yeah, and... Like kind of uh, as you get older, you almost retrospectively uh, like over important uh, certain bands over other ones. But now that I'm talking to you, like I really loved Lizzie Borden. Uh, uh, Not like Killer man, Dwarves or anything, right? Oh, I love Killer Dwarves too. Yeah. Hang on a second. I'll tell you a cool Killer Dwarf story in a minute. Oh, Mike, what's that band? Uh, anyway. Who cares? It's okay. Uh, but yeah, I was, oh, and I loved Overkill so much. I loved Overkill. And then when Testament came, I remember thinking Testament was the like the greatest record. Like they overtook. Like I thought this is the best band in the world. Uh, and then uh, and when Scream Bloody Gore came out, oh, uh, like I couldn't believe it. I got it for Christmas from my mom. I had a scene in uh, uh, maybe Metal Forces or something. Yeah, it was just a little up. They had this little up and coming bands thing where there'd be four squares, and one of them was Death. In the picture, they were just a three piece. And I remember, like, okay, this band Death looks cool. And it was like they were saying, like, they're playing this new kind of music, Death Metal, you know? Yeah. Because even Possessed at the time was just called Speed Metal, Mm -hmm. uh, as far as I knew, anyway. Uh, So I was just, I got to hear what Death sounds like. And then. Yeah, Scream Bloody Gore, I got it for Christmas. I was just like, oh, was, I couldn't believe it. It was just so awesome. Like, oh, yeah, just it sounded so raw and different. Like I hadn't, you know, I was like, okay, this is death metal, you know? And, oh, yeah, that totally stoked me. But, yeah, as for the Killer Dwarves, yeah, they, they played at a mall by my house. <clears throat> me and my friend were like, we, and it was at a bar. We were like, we have to see the Killer Dwarfs. Have to. Like, we love them. And uh, somehow, I guess, well, my dad liked to uh, drink a little bit. So, like, he, we just talked him into going to the bar, you know. Uh, take, please take us in. He's like, okay, I'll use this as an excuse to go to the bar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so we get there. And, uh, yeah, at first they turned us away. Like, you guys can't come into the bar. And I think our face is sunk in so much pain and sorrow that the guy like i remember the bouncer being like okay come on in you know like i remember i even turned away to walk home all slow and then i heard him say no you guys can come in and yeah so we went in uh yeah we sat at a table right in front of this right in front of the stage it was just a little bar you know like Mm -hmm. tables and then uh yeah they uh yeah they came out you know, the little crates that Russ Dwarf is in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just like, it was just a tiny little stage about like shin height, you know? 
and he unwound out of the box, you know, like almost contortionist like when they started playing. And he came right over to our table and did a, a head spin on our table. Like them recognizing that we were like little kids. Yeah, we couldn't believe it. And then after we hung out with them, got uh, autographs. I, I still have my autographs. I got a shirt. Uh, we were about to, one guy invited us onto the bus and we were about to get on, but there was actually, I think they were like, had girls on there that they were talking to and they're just like, oh, don't bring these little kids on the bus, you know? <laughs> so we were kind of turned away at the bus, and but we were stoked. We didn't, you know, I mean, we didn't care at all, but we were, yeah, that was amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Um, do you, have, <laughs> have you ever heard any of that stuff that Chuck from Death did when he moved to Toronto and did stuff with Slaughter? Um, I think I have on YouTube, but I didn't at the time, you know? I love I love the fact that there is this sort of extreme music network that's going on at the same time, like that the yeah, fact that yeah. these demo bands that are, you know, you know, in touch with each other. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could have uh like in retrospect been more of a part of it, but I just like I remember all the all the ads for pen pals at the back of magazines, but I never actually ended up filling any out ever. The only thing I emailed for back then was one gi joe comic <laughs> number three <laughs> but yeah like my friend derek in regina yeah he was emailing all that stuff and like just like the amount of pen pals and cool stuff he got compared to me like i did i knew him at the time but we weren't friends so like i just knew of him uh yeah he just the amount of stuff that he has and from doing that is amazing. So where was like sort of the music discovery coming from, you know, more of the punk stuff where you read Max rock and roll or flip side, or was there like a local zine that was kind of covering stuff? Uh, into the music or no records on wheels. Yeah. That's the other place besides music. Plus that's, that's where I really started getting everything. Uh, I can't remember the name. Like I, I got the magazine with, uh, uh, with Beyond Possession in it. And that's where I'd get all the metal magazines, Metal Forces. They had Mega Metal Kerrang! Thra not Thrash Metal. You could get those at the mall or whatever. Like Mega Metal Kerrang! Uh, Metallion. Remember a Canadian mag metal magazine called Metallion? Oh, vaguely. I got yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome, man. I really liked that at the time. Uh, uh, yeah, there was a article paul stanley gives boner boner in there <laughs> that's all i can remember uh and pile like i remember pile driver was in there uh yeah all that stuff was import and the records were on import and then later on yeah i was getting flip side the first flip yeah the first flip side i i got what had poison idea on the cover uh gg allen in it and uh I remember like, I was like, okay, I'll get this and save it to read it at school. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting in my desk, you know, okay, I'll read, I'm reading about Poison Idea. This is cool. This is weird. You know, they're all bloody and guys blowing fire and, you know, there's Pig Champion and <laughs> Jerry A or whatever. And then, uh, yeah, I turned the page and there's a guy in diapers and <laughs> boots rolling in glass with poo on them and. And then the next page, he's actually ripping his dink. <laughs> and I, I was just like, oh, my God, if I get caught, you know, I just kind of like put it in my desk. Like, oh, I'm going to be banned from life if I get caught. Later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I actually kept that flip side, too, just for the laughs. 
And then, yeah, I kept reading Flipside. I thought it was awesome. And then I, yeah, I got into Maximum Rock and Roll. And, uh, yeah, all that was reading that. <laughs> yeah, I had this crappy job after a while just doing security at a, at a car lot. So I'd sit there and read uh, Maximum Rock and Roll. <laughs> it's, so was there like radio stations, like a, like college radio that was playing uh, any sort of punk stuff? Or is it like kind of like just you're just having to kind of figure it all out from zines in the record store? Uh, there was after a while I discovered Brave New Waves. Oh, yeah. So they would they would sometimes have like uh, I guess it must have been just a little later because I remember hearing like stuff like the first Nirvana record uh, or one song off of it. I remember and uh, Coffin Break and The Wongs, Still Boys, uh, Change of Heart. You know, like it wasn't too much punk, but if you listen like all week, you might hear a song you like or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and then some like it, it kind of opened your mind, though, because you hear all this alternative music and uh, like the ministry, you know, that kind of stuff. And then there, there was uh, some video show I used to watch. Dead Kennedy's police truck would play quite often. And like, uh, yeah, I think the ministry, like uh, that song Over the Shoulder. Yeah, like City Limits. Uh, or, did they? City Limits was in uh, Regina, right? City, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. City Limits, right? Yeah, th- yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, it was such. A, it's such a cool time to think about that musically. Like the fact that you would have Ministry and the Dead Kennedys, and like Coffin Break, almost existing all side by side. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, and uh, and like the song, uh, the Coffin Break song, "Just Say No." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I loved it so much. I was like, I need to hear this. And that's, I think that's the first record I actually, like, ordered. You know, like, I'm going to order this record. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I actually drove to Winnipeg. I was, I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't 18 yet because I remember being worried that I couldn't get in. But I drove to Winnipeg to see Coffin Break on their first tour on that Rupture record. Uh, and, yeah, I, I like that. Was that your first time kind of going outside, um, like of the city to see another place for a show? Uh, no, I went to, I, when I saw Sacrifice and Razor, yes. I was like, I said to my mom, like, can we please go visit grandma in Saskatoon? I need to see, I need to see them again, you know? Yeah. So I went, yeah, I went in Regina and then Saskatoon. So that was the first time I, oh no. And I also traveled, uh, to see Metallica in Saskatoon on justice for all tour. What was the difference between sort of Saskatoon and Regina's scenes as far as the metal scenes from what you could take? And obviously, you know, fairly limited exposure at the time, but I mean like, or even like Winnipeg, like were they much bigger scenes? Saskatoon's was more, a little bit more alcohol based, a little less informed in a way. And a little more, a little like more into death metal and stuff than it was punk perhaps mm-hmm. just a bit. Uh, this is just, yeah, it seemed a little bit less in the know, if you know what I mean? Like, uh, and I remember that, that sacrifice razor show in Regina was packed and in Saskatoon it was like at a skate park and not packed. Yeah. And for some reason it, I cannot figure out the years of that, of that show. Cause I, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know when that was. 
Really? Like, it's just like, it's something that's like, I guess there's no flyers for it at the time too, right? So Like, I, it was on the Shotgun Justice Tour. Yeah. It's actually, not that I don't know when that was, but I know I saw Sacrifice before I saw them with Sacrifice and Razor, and I can't figure out when that was. But it was when, it was when Forward Determination came out. I guess I can't imagine they would have done that many cross Canada tours. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the first time I saw sacrifice, I thought it was with razor, but it, but it's not, yeah. you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a aberration in my memory that is, is before that. Um, and so what about Winnipeg? Like what was that coffin break show? Like versus what you had seen prior to that? Uh, I think there was only like 30 people or something like that. So it was, it was just like, it was at the Albert, which yeah. you guys probably played the Albert too. Hey. Yeah. We all, I think we only got to do it once, but I'm, I'm really happy. I did like what a storied venue. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And my favorite shows have been there actually like not to play, but to watch. Mm-hmm. It's just such a good to play. It doesn't feel the same as if you're in the crowd there. Uh, at least that's my experience. I could totally see uh, that actually. You know, when you say that, like that makes complete sense because I remember playing it being like, Oh, this doesn't feel like the videos that I watched. Yeah, exactly. And when you're in the band, like that part off to the right, it's all this, that's kind of dead zone, you know, <laughs> yeah. but when you're in the crowd, you don't recognize that, you know? Yeah, definitely. No, uh, I, that... Cause I, I, I was on the dead zone side, you know, playing my bass. I'm just like, man, this blows. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, when we play live, all I can do is fixate on those dead zones. Unfortunately, so yeah, yeah, it's hard not to. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. like a, it's like a hole in your soul, as they say. <laughs> um, so how did I Spy come together? Or was it like, sorry, did you do any bands that played live before I Spy, other than the band that played the lunchroom? Um, actually, I did. Believe it or not, I was playing drums for uh, this band, uh, Ditch Pig who's actually still around now with 100% different members, 100% different. Uh, Yeah, I was playing drums, and I didn't even really know how to play drums. I just remember sitting there laughing, kind of just like, holy fuck, does this suck? (laughs) Uh, Like, well, actually, that's not even true, because I had fun, you know, I was doing it, and... uh, like I thought, I thought I suck, but this is fun, you know. Yeah. And the other guys, the other guys were actually doing a pretty good job. And I remember in the middle of the show, the singer looking back at me like, "Oh, like what? You know, when someone's looking at you, kind of angry, you know? <laughs> You're like, oh, sorry, but uh, I don't actually know how to play drums very well. Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, I guess that would be my other foray into. Uh, Actually, I was in another band in Regina be- between I Spy and that. And actually, this is interesting. Oh, actually, my high school band, some people might find this interesting because I know some people, they're, they're actually their favorite band. Is uh, The singer of my high school band is in, uh, is the singer of Besnard Lakes, Jace Lassick. Oh, Have wow. you ever heard of yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were in a band in high school together. And then we, after high school, we parted ways. I never... I, it wasn't until like maybe like maybe six or seven years ago I was reading Exclaim, yeah, and I was like Jace Lassick in Besnard Lakes or whatever. I was like Jace is in this band, you know. <laughs> and I was reading the article. I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. And then I went and saw them at the Albert actually. And I was like, after the show, I was like, Jace. He's like, holy shit, you know, like he he couldn't believe I was there. Kind of, you know, we hadn't seen each other in so long, so. I thought it was kind of cool that 
like I think even our band in high school, like, like it was a punk band, but it was almost like kind of creative in this way that it was hard to be cohesive, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it was like, like we both had like these visions that were higher and beyond what we were capable of, you know? Yeah. So our band wasn't that good, but it had this kernel of like, like uh, people trying to be creative within this kind of framework. Well, and I think that I, I think Besnard Lakes are incredible, like like a super heavy psych vibe. Like I love that band. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, and I saw them. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, I found that such an interesting uh, thing, you know, that we all went on to keep playing like that. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh no, it's that's like that's why the, that's why I do this podcast is finding out stuff like that. Just finding out that like. I don't know. There's people that wind up doing interesting things later in life were drawn together at a young age. And I don't know if it's like a, a joint inspiration type thing or a mutual yeah. inspiration, but like just the fact that people wind up getting on these paths where not very many people wind up doing these things in life. Yeah, exactly. And, and Jace, like when we were in a, the high school band, he sang, but he didn't actually play an instrument yet. Oh, He was just... Like, I remember him getting his first guitar and starting to strum. Like, look, I'm trying to, I got a guitar too, you know? <laughs> so what did this band sound like? Um, We had a song that was kind of like, well, I think we were trying to like mix like, like kind of heavier punk with stuff like Big Drill Car and stuff. But, mm-hmm. and even all, like we were both really into all. Us and Jays. Actually, it was stuff like Doughboys, all big drill car. Like, it was that that we had in common. Like, uh, the three of us were headbangers. He was more of a, maybe before he got into those bands, like, just a, a kid, you know, who wasn't into heavy metal. I don't know what kids who aren't into heavy metal even do. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> you know what I mean? So, it was like, oh. Did you guys record it all? Or is there any, yeah. any recordings of this Yeah, band? I have a demo somewhere. And my brother, uh, he was cleaning his house and. Yeah, he held up a tape that he has our first demo too. So if I don't have it, he has it. Oh, I'd love to hear this. This sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, more verbally awesome than sonically awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I I remember being a little bit disappointing in our actual recording. You know, it's just like a four track from uh, people who don't really know what they're doing. You know. Yeah. yeah. And actually, uh, there was before. Uh, interestingly enough like before red hot chili peppers did like mother's milk and all that mm-hmm. like uh like we we were all like our bass player and i think jace were kind of interested in that too and i was mildly you know like i wouldn't have listened to him really but it like it was alternative you know so i think there's like some slapping and popping on the bass you know <laughs> and, yeah <clears throat> yeah and there's and like there was that there was this little period of time where all kinds of bands, even thrash bands, were doing like kind of funny, like funny, uh, like funny funk songs and shit. Yeah, you know, like just this terrible point in time. So like, <laughs> yeah, we had our punk songs, and then our yeah our, our demo ends with our kind of funny funk song that's not good or funny. <laughs> it was yeah that that song was called "Kissing the Light Socket." What what's the band called? Did it have a name? I don't even want to say. <laughs> no, I remember. Yeah, I could. I don't. I have to leave that in the past. I remember my mom going like, "I heard you guys talk, and I don't. I don't think your band name is very good." 
<laughs> just like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, so what did yeah. you kind of go after this band broke up? Did you do another band before you said before? Yeah, not, yeah, and then uh, yeah, we were in a band, uh, me and some other guys from Regina. It was kind of like uh, uh, like we were into like reason to believe. Does that band ring a bell? I fucking reason love that band. Yeah, yeah, that that's what those guys were into, and like it was really influential. And SNFU, so it was like trying to be a mix of like SNFU, Reason to Believe. Those guys actually played a, a Nirvana song when I was joining, uh, which I actually didn't like. It's kind of like a, almost like those kind of Egyptian tones on a guitar, you know? Mm-hmm. So whatever song sounds like that on the first Nirvana record, but I knew, I'd never even heard of Nirvana. I was just like singing this song because they wanted me to, you know? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> was this the first band you did vocals in? Uh, yeah, actually it was. So yeah. And I wasn't playing guitar. I was just singing and all those guys were pretty good musicians actually like, uh, better than, well, I won't say better. They were just different, you know, like the guy had double <laughs> kick and <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. And my lyrics were trying to be kind of like chai pig and, uh, which never works out because you can't really copy people, you know? Yeah. And I think I was trying to be like coffin break and like it. And of course, all the things I always liked, like uh, I was super into agnostic front too, went in high school and it just, I was just trying to, you know, like those guys were from the South end. I'm from the North end of Regina and we were all like into the accused and COC and all the thrash stuff, DRI. But in the South end, they were like into like, Doughboys, reason to believe, uh, like all, all that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, it was almost like, like I was kind of fitting into the, their mold a little bit of like what they liked. So because they were making the music, I was just singing, mm-hmm. and I liked, I liked all their songs, so it wasn't a problem. Like a, it was like kind of like the Doughboys and all, just all that stuff was, uh, yeah. But yeah, so that and. Uh, did this band record too? Because this sounds really interesting. Like, uh, definitely like ahead of the curve doing a Nirvana cover uh, that early. Yeah, and I can't take credit for that. Like, those guys would have to, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, but you record. And uh, actually, and we played a Waiting Room by Fugazi now that I mention it too. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, I did like that. That's another thing I heard off uh, Brave New Waves. And then when we finally saw, like, Fugazi finally came to Regina. And I was actually, I was, I was in the lunchroom of the show, you know, yeah. I just remember being a little bit disappointed, sadly enough. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of hype to, before you see that band live for the first time. Yeah. And I, like, I didn't know, well, I guess for us, they're like, the only hype was the record, you know, like, or yeah, like I didn't see, like, I, I knew the guy was from Minor Threat and I just remember I remember wanting it to be like minor threat kind of, you know, like I liked the I liked the tape, but I don't think I owned it, you know? Yeah. So we were playing waiting room. I'd hear the tape at their house and that, but I didn't own it. But I like minor threat was one of my favorite bands in the world, you know? Yeah. It's like, I, like I, they're the first band like that I saw, like don't drink, don't smoke, you know? And like that resonated with me. Cause like half of my family were like drinking too much and dying and you know what I mean? And I was like, okay, I can't, like, just have some, someone my age saying this finally, you know? And I remember my friends like, oh, like mocking that even. 
so that's the time when everyone's starting to drink and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they treat you kind of like goody two shoes, you know, but you just have to kind of in yourself, just be strong enough or whatever to just say, no, I'm, I'm all right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, and definitely. like mentioning that too, like uh youth of today, I was so into youth of today. Like the first, the, uh, not the first record. Uh, we're not in this alone. That's the first one I got just how the drums uh, sounded like cardboard boxes. And like, it sounded like literally kids your age, uh, who had something to say in those lyrics. Like when I read those lyrics now, they're amazing and the records are amazing. So when your your guys' yeah. cover of Youth Today was fucking sick. Like I always wish that was a full, like proper version of that song. Oh yeah. Yeah, the tape uh, that's where the tape ended. That was yeah. the recording. That that was a tape recording at the Albert too. Yeah, it's too bad for that. Yeah. And that that was me, I guess. You know, that was me just like none of those other guys in I Spy listen to Youth of Today at all. Yeah. I was just like, hey, let's. I was like, let's play this song, you know. And it was just like, it's so easy. They they picked it up in like five minutes and then we're playing it. So, uh, who opened for Fugazi when they came through? Uh, that was uh, man, <laughs> Tank Hog. You ever heard of Tank yeah. Hog? Yeah. Oh yeah, they were on Mint. Yeah, probably. And uh, like they were true misfits. Uh, and I remember they played so hard and the singer was like cutting himself or something. And <laughs> like the singer was this really little guy and the bass player was huge. And like, I just remember they played so hard. Like, if you watch their videos or something now, it's just kind of like, like something you just wouldn't watch or be into, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, but in the, at that time, like there was kind of a clean slate as to what could happen, you know, and they were they were almost like a mix between like glam metal and punk, you know, that mm-hmm. that sort of scene. But I could have kind of uh I didn't mind that because I liked uh Death Sentence, you know, Death Sentence. I love them. And all those bands, like some of the Vancouver bands carried that feel. Yeah. But I, like I remember that day. Like I I remember that day feeling like I think I like Tank Hog better than I like Fugazi. <laughs> <laughs> which is you know if you watch a tank hog video you don't you don't you'd never see like yeah i can see that you yeah. know yeah like because you listen to like a tank hog record versus fugazi of course the fugazi record is way more easier to understand from our perspective because like that that even that way of dressing and acting and sounding still persists today, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas we walk around, we don't see anyone like dressed like Tank Hog or acting like Tank Hog. Yeah, it's funny how dated some stuff is versus how, like you're saying, like some of the stuff feels like it could come out tomorrow or and it would still like make sense. But there's some stuff that feels like it's like from a thousand years ago. Yeah, yeah. There was another band that like that that I truly loved, and they were called Bone Club. They were from Minneapolis. Uh, to me, they were one of the best bands that I, you could possibly see. They were so amazing. But I, when I go to YouTube to check it out, it's just like, it's another thing you just can't see. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it didn't, uh, like, the way that they were live didn't carry over to their tapes and certainly didn't carry over to a video, especially at a time when, like, uh, like people were starting to get into, like, sub pop stuff and then they started to notice that and started to dress a little different to fit that yeah you know so you look you look back and you're like okay here's these guys playing kind of sub pop music that doesn't quite fit in to that either so it's like almost like this aberration 
you know, that kind of music where it falls through the cracks where no one listens to it. (laughs) And, uh, but they were amazing, you know, like I'd see him, I'd see this guy singing is so unbelievably good. Like it was like, he just sang, it was like watching a superstar, you know? Yeah. But you just can't, you can't get that watching on uh, YouTube. Well, like, uh, you know, earlier you brought up Death Sentence, too, which is another band that I think gets forgotten and, and a band yeah. that has so many uh, incredible legends and stories surrounding them. Yeah. Did they come through? Yeah, I saw Death Sentence a bunch of times. Somewhere there's a video of an old Death Sentence show with me and about six friends of mine. And we all look exactly the same. We're all 15 or whatever. Every single one of us bought the shirt and we're all in a line. Uh you know, I'd just love to see that video. It's just like, <laughs> <Awesome>. there was, <laughs> yeah, the first time I saw Death Sentence, maybe it was with DOA, and I was grounded until the day of the show. It was Sunday. I was grounded till Sunday. That was the only time I got grounded in my life. I was grounded till 6 p.m. on Sunday, and the show was Sunday night at 8 or 9 <laughs> or whatever. Usually the shows were at 9. So I got off grounding. I went and said to my mom, am I off grounding? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you're off grounding. I was like, good, because I need to go to CDOA and death sentence tonight. And for some reason, no matter how late shows were or what would happen, my mom would let me go. Like I went and uh, I saw Beyond Possession. They didn't play till midnight. And I was only, you know, 14 or 15. And uh, I remember standing there just like, please let this show start. Like, like my mom's going to come in here and take me home, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, what was the other show? Oh yeah. Death sentence. Yeah. So I couldn't go to death sentence or I couldn't find a ride. I was like, no one wants to go to death sentence. No one knew who, or DOA. Uh, so I had to, I talked my brother into going and I had to pay, it was 15 bucks to get in, in the eighties. And I had to pay for my brother and his friend and myself. So that show, that show cost me every. Lucky I did. I delivered papers, so I had it covered, you know. But yeah. like that show cost me a fortune. I couldn't even. Oh no, I got a death sentence shirt at that show. So yeah, so I I got the shirt. <laughs> what about like blasphemy? Were they coming through? I uh, not that I know of. No. And what like what about bands like Slow? I guess they would be coming through too, right? Probably. Like, slow? Well, you know, slow have not been the same. Was there I uh, Total Brave New Waves Rock? Oh, Sloan. Slow. Like slow. A... No, S O L S L O W. I can't say. I yeah. But now uh Sloan came to Regina on their first tour and played this place, the black market. I'd never heard of them in my life. I just went to every show that went there. Yeah, and Sloan was one of them. And there was only like, I would say, 10 people there. And I remember, as far as I knew, only one person liked them was this guy, Dave Cohen. So he gets credit. He bought his shirt off him, too. So <laughs> if, if anyone says, you know, if anyone in Regina says they were the first Sloan fan, it's that guy. <laughs> the only guy who's telling the truth. Yeah, he's the only guy telling the truth for sure. And Unless there's, I don't know anyone else I'd be suspicious of at best. But it's funny, like once again, like Sloan, here's a band that, you know, doesn't bear any sonic resemblance to, but another band that's completely informed by, you know, minor threat and government issue and, and all the same sort of bands, I guess, like on the other side of the country. Sloan. Yeah. Like when Chris Murphy was on the show, like 
his big journey as a teenager was going to DC to, to eat Ian McCoy, sorry, to meet Ian oh, McCoy cool, and see Dag Nasty. Yeah. 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 When they played Regina, it's like, it has nothing to do with them per se. It's just like, to me, it was like college rock or whatever. And I wanted, <laughs> I was into metal or whatever, you know, and the, like yeah. the, the smalls, I love seeing the smalls at that place. I think I, I think I was at one of the first smalls out of town shows ever as well. I was in Regina with almost nobody there and the guitar player had a Venom guitar strap and so I was like, Oh, the guy's got a Venom guitar strap. I went right up front and yeah, they truly blew my mind. They're really fast. They just had a they just had that white tape out at that point, no CDs, nothing. Uh and then they, they came back three or four times, actually interviewed them for my zine. And uh, the other day I was looking just through my stuff, trying to find this old Kiss stuff to be on this Kiss podcast because I won a trivia contest. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and I found a review that was supposed I actually interviewed Propaganda, but I found another page and the page is complaining about how half the crowd left to go smoke weed in the park instead of staying, saying to see, staying to see Propaganda and how disappointing it was for me personally. <laughs> yeah, that's the first out-of-town propaganda show they ever played was that. And that was uh, that was referred to the promoter by me because I went to Winnipeg, saw them, and I was like, you got to get this band, Propaganda. And that was, yeah, they just had their one tape out at that point. Um, so, uh, sorry, before uh, talking about Propaganda, so the, the Smalls would come through as well, but I guess like at this point, was there like local bands forming around? Like, is I Spy forming around this time too? I Spy was uh, well, I, I moved to Winnipeg, uh, and I went back to Regina in this. How did that work? Yeah, I moved to Winnipeg. I think I. Oh yeah, I knew I had. I knew I was going back to Regina in the summer. So I was writing songs all winter, you know, I was like, I got to find people to be in a band with. I thought I was going to go back to Regina and be in a band with my friend uh, Kenton that I was in a band with when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. But I can't remember if, if he didn't want to or what or what he was doing. I think he was working in a market garden or something. And uh, yeah, and then uh, but I'd seen James, Dave and Rary from I Spy playing in a, this band called Second Sight. And they were playing... Uh, Aces High by Maiden, a cover. And of course, the, the singer couldn't sing like Dickinson because it's a pretty impossible task. But those guys were all played the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, Rary even did the solo. I was like, and I had it in my mind. Like, like I remembered them, you know? So when I was going back to Regina, I, I don't know who I talked to, but I was like, I think I said, I, I asked if those guys from Second Sight, I, I think I heard their singer quit. And I was like, tell him I want to jam with them. Like, I think it was my friend Marlon. I was like, yeah, tell him I, I want to jam with them. And I went to their basement and we started playing. And it's uh, the, the song that I brought was like, uh, like I'd worked on those songs all winter by myself. So there, I had them kind of down, you know, and pretty good. Mm -hmm. Uh like not the songs you'd hear on the records, but like a whole batch of prior songs. But the song that we played first is actually on that perversity is no. 
yeah, perversity is spreading, like where it's all the so- compilation of all the songs. Yeah, it's like a couple demo songs at the end or whatever. But the first song we played is on there, and uh, I remember we started playing, and I think we all felt like, oh, this is awesome, right, right off the bat. And I like I remember I jumped up, and I hit my head on James' mom's roof, <laughs> and knocked myself unconscious and put a <laughs> hole in the roof, and. Uh, and I just like James the drummer, he was so animated and so into it. And like they didn't like and Rary, the guitar player too, he wasn't one of those guys who you'd play a riff and like you wouldn't know if they liked it or not. Like I remember I played the riff and he goes, That's awesome. Like just like that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like like that's kind of what I needed, probably as kind of an insecure person trying to make a band, you know, to just have the other person go like like he was just all in right away. And Dave, the bass player, I remember he, like, how he was playing and he was super into Sam I Am and Chemical People. Did, do you remember the Chemical People, how the bass kind of sounded? Like, I remember him playing and I was like, oh, his bass sounds like Chemical People. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, James's drum. James was all into like Rollins' band. Uh, uh, like the early, like Lifetime. He was, he loved that Rollins' band record, Lifetime. Yeah. And we were all into all less than a few he was really into seven seconds i just remember like yeah i can be in a band with these guys and we got along so well yeah and then we just started hung, hanging out like we were instant best friends like yeah especially me and james like just like rary you know he had a girlfriend and so did dave i think and me and james we just drive drive around in his uh car listening to like sepultura and stuff just like lean back in his car and just like oh this is unreal you know and then we listened to lots of sam i am i wasn't as into it as as him but you know i could still kick back and like go on his vibe <laughs> well that's what i think that's so great about i spy is like you know it doesn't sound like any band like it doesn't really feel like it fits into any particular scene it just rages yeah that's what i was uh i i think a part of it is uh uh, I'm, I think seeing song, like, like I'm more of a visual person than a, than a musical person. Like I didn't take the guitar at, like easily or anything, but I think I would just see things in pictures, you know, mm-hmm. and just sort of like try to like make the music fit the, the, the site I saw, you know? Yeah. And I think it was just like, I'm searching this site, this, I don't know what it was, just like shapes and colors, you know, and, and then uh, instead of uh, like I couldn't copy bands, like even the band that me and Jace were in, like no matter what I wanted it to sound like, I couldn't. Like I remember in uh, high school, me and my friend Jamie, we wanted to start a band that sounded like uh, like Youth of Today and all that. And like I just, and Judge, I love Judge, that first Judge, uh, not, not the, fir- the first LP of Judge. Like we listen to that every day and I wanted to make song, songs like that kind of, you know, mm-hmm. but then when I would actually play what they were playing, it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't feel like it was me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I felt like I was pretending to be judge. I, I think that's the problem. It's just that like something in my head just was like, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, like, I think I just loved, I loved so much stuff and I couldn't, I couldn't copy what I wanted even like, I don't know if it's like I, 
like I just couldn't, you know, even even subconsciously, if right now I wanted to copy something, it wouldn't sound like it, you know, mm-hmm. like I just can't, I can't do that. So it actually works out to my benefit in a way. Oh, definitely. Well, yeah, that's the thing, right? Like instead, instead of making something that stands out, you end up making something that just is like perfectly fit to a genre that already exists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to, although you, when you, when you, uh, when you do that, you just have to be aware that less people are going to be perhaps <laughs> yeah. in what you're doling out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's easier, you know, to, to kind of fall in line, I guess, but like, like yeah. you know, people don't remember all those bands necessarily. They remember yeah. bands like Poison Idea that stood out, right? Like people don't remember yeah, Bone yeah. Club. Yeah, they were highly unique, though, you know. But just kind of, uh, yeah, some they. I think sometimes like raw, raw punk will always, like right now, if me and you started a band, and we were like, let's play old school hard punk that's dark and nasty. Like there's a guaranteed crowd that would respect us, you know. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> whereas, if, whereas if you know, if we were, to, if me and you were to all then instead go like, no, let's make our band a mix of like Tank Hog, Bone Club, and uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And uh, then people are gonna be just, you know, like we'd be uh, like shooting ourselves in the foot with almost by a creative impulse, you know. You say that, but we're also going to have a novelty funk song that I think everyone's going to love. So we'll be, we'll be yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which will be the worst song because you're trying to copy other people. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> um. So, uh, did you guys record, uh, like, put out an actual demo tape demo? I Spy did not actually no because uh, I Spy was Propaganda was going to go on on a tour straight to Ooh. Texas and back. And I Spy was supposed to go on it, or or that was mine and Chris's plan, you know, kind of getting going. And they probably talked amongst themselves, like, about how it would actually work out, you know. And, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And Chris was kind of just like, uh, we, I think you guys can't come to Texas with us or whatever, you know. And he's like, but how about instead we record, like, a split 10-inch record, or, you know what I mean, a split record on recess. And we're like, Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll do whatever. That sounds amazing, does. And uh, yeah, so we went and did that. And we'd actually never heard ourselves on any tape. We had no, not even a ghetto blaster tape of ourselves until we were recording that. That's the first time I ever heard us. Really? Yeah. And I remember when I started singing, I was like, "Holy shit, this doesn't sound good." <laughs> and then uh like once i got used like i'd never sung into headphones either yeah uh and once i got the hang of it yeah we banged it up yeah off in one or two days and that was it and uh and then we mixed it and uh the guy mixed it had mixed like like rock records and stuff but maybe never punk bands especially like us so it was kind of saturated like a rock record and i remember being really disappointed like uh, I can't believe this is how this sounds. And then Chris is like, well, let's just go in and remix it. I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we went back the next week, remixed it, told uh, this guy, Chris, who was doing it. Like, I think Chris just told him, like, take off the reverb, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, just have it kind of dry. 
yeah, we got it back. And yeah, it was like, holy shit, we got a real recording. Like, it sounds like a real band. Uh, yeah, and then that came out. Uh, that's yeah, it's so amazing. Did. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, yeah, no problem. That, that, it's so amazing to me because that is such an incredibly perfect collection of songs on that side of the 10 inch. Like, you know, as, as a kid, I bought it for the propaganda side. And I remember hearing on, actually, I got the CD version where you had to listen to the whole thing play as one track. And your guys, oh, were, right, right. you guys were on first, and I remember putting it on and being like, "This is incredible! Like it sounds so perfect! Like the production is just <laughs> so so awesome on it! Like everything about it! Like I still listen to that those songs, and I'm like, this is this is like you know I wouldn't change a thing about this. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I honestly haven't listened to that for a long, long time, but uh. Me and uh, I went to Vancouver not too long ago. I, uh, I must have no, no, I didn't listen to it. No, I must have. I must have listened to it. Just the song one. Uh, uh, one of the songs, like uh, like this third song. I can't. I, whatever it is, but like me and James actually played it, and it sounded exactly the same. I was like, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And then we just jammed, you know, for a while. I tried to figure out how to play on the spot a couple other ones, but I almost couldn't. Oh, and then actually we played Appliances and Cars, too. Oh, that's that, fucking awesome. Yeah, so we played those two songs, and uh, yeah, then just, you know, just hung out. Like, we were just doing it for fun, and uh, and then, uh, yeah, we were just, you know, jamming. I was, <laughs> whatever, I can't even remember, but it sounded pretty good, too. And then... Uh, yeah, we just—it was just one day. I think I—I I was there to—I was there actually to see the Kiss uh, <laughs> Kiss reunion tour. <laughs> it always comes back to Kiss. Yeah, it does. Strangely enough, well, that's I the think... last show I might ever see in my life too. Because me and my brother went to uh, Grand Forks and saw him right before COVID. Oh, shit. well, first and last went full circle that way. Yeah, yeah, and my brother hated Kiss his whole life. He make fun of them, punch me if I listen to them too loud. And then just two years, two years ago, man, he started, he thought I'll listen to kids just to see, you know? Yeah. And he got so into it. He became obsessed and, uh, yeah, he just was insanely into it. He was sending me reviews, like pages and pages of reviews of records. And yeah, I was like, okay, let's go see them, man. Let's go. <laughs> he was, yeah, so we went to Vancouver and then to Grand Forks again. So. <laughs> um, there's something about the riffs also on that record, like the guitar stuff is so like on Remain, like just like like the way it kind of fades in and out. Like, was there an influence on that, or is it once again just like you're saying, you picture a, a painting or a visual and then kind of write the songs around it? Yeah, what I uh... no, I was just playing because I actually what really inspired me. Like when when I started I Spy, I had just I was coffin break came back to Winnipeg. I was super in a coffin break. Uh, saw Propaganda when they had their demos, so it was before How to Clean Everything. So there wasn't like a anything, no Fat Records thought or sound, like I had no idea. Yeah, and, and then uh, the Melvins had just played the Albert too, and the Melvins blew my mind. <laughs> And uh, and I had also bought the first uh, helmet record in Minneapolis. I went to Minneapolis. I, that's where Amphetamine Reptile is. Yep. 
so I bought like helmet and stuff like so that that was actually like that is the circle of bands I was trying to copy when I spy started mm-hmm. with, uh, and then with all the other influences I had you know and actually uh death human uh human blew my mind yeah it was like death metal but completely different with those uh like kind of elongated timing like it just it had these timings that I'd never heard in any music and uh just the way it felt like waves like it, it stuck with me until like even now like I try to write songs as if I'm like going up hills and being set back or I'm on a tidal wave being you know what I mean that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh those kind of thoughts and uh that's what that death had so I was kind of trying to mix all that stuff together uh it's funny you say that because I totally hear that in the I Spy thing. Like it's almost like there's like a franticness to it. Like you're 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 catching up with the music, or the music's trying to catch up with something. But like in like not because it's out of time, but almost like a like it's fighting against something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I the first I it's unfortunate that I lost the tape with all the uh, songs on it when it was getting uh, mixed to that perversity spreading record mm-hmm. we had 15 songs that like have never been heard anywhere now that tape's gone but uh like all those songs were they're a lot worse than like all the songs everyone's heard mm-hmm. but those are all the songs that that would have had that mix of bands uh kind of in the sound and by time uh by time like the <clears throat> the first i spy came out then i was starting Oh, it's hard to say now. Uh, like what we were listening to then. Oh, yeah, I can't remember. But somewhere on there, on some I Spy song, you can hear uh, James does the, the little drum hit from Dead, Bre- Dead Embryonic Soul, uh, <laughs> Dead Embryonic Cells by Sepultura. So we we're for sure listening to that. Uh, and then by the next I Spy record, <clears throat> Somewhere right right after the first record is what I'm getting at. I started email or ordering records from uh, Ebullition, you know, like mm-hmm. Downcast. Super changed my. I I wish I could remember if I had heard this stuff at the first I Spy. Like maybe I was just hearing it, but I almost don't think I'd heard it yet. But yeah, Born Against, you know, Spit Boy, and then Los Crudos. Yeah, we're listening to Los Crudos before the second I Spy record because they were a big influence on a couple of those songs. It's funny because that's like the scene that you guys fit in with sonically, I guess, the best is almost that ebullition sort of pan-American kind of scene. Yeah, I would agree with that too. And uh, although I was, uh, like, I remember there was like nothing of that scene that would uh, in any way like acknowledge us. I probably like if we came out and not been associated with propaganda we might have been you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like because of uh because people don't really listen to what they're listening to their uh they go by association i think like we were more like uh like considered a raw crazier type of propaganda-ish sound you know which we definitely were influenced by as well but but I, I think later on, yeah, I suppose like kind of a mix of all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course, not, not, not a successful mix. Cause I, like it was uh like successful in a way on its own, but it wasn't a successful 
mix of what I was trying to sound like. <laughs> I get what you're saying, definitely on that. I'm like not not because like I, I love that later stuff as well, but I think like what you're saying is like it never c- turns out like you plan in your mind. Yeah, yeah, because there's like physical limitations, yeah. you know. Yeah. Like I would like sometimes uh, like I didn't realize until I started taking singing lessons about five years ago that my voice is baritone. So sometimes I'd be trying to like uh, sing like uh, the singer of Los Crudos or something, but I would be like, his voice is obviously a totally different register. So it's like my voice isn't going to cut through the way, the way his oracrises is, right? Yeah. Because they're a totally different register. So their voices cut through the music in a completely different way. So like that alone uh, will make you not be able to copy bands you like. Mm-hmm. you know because yeah, it's a physical it's a physical impossibility but it's kind of awesome the way that you're because your voice because you're obviously trying to sing differently than your voice is meant to it kind of lends itself to that like frantic vocal that you had on on those recordings where it's like your voice is cracking and it's like you're straining yeah. to get there yeah yeah and it sounds uh it comes across as like really uh passionate yeah and yeah. frantic yeah yeah especially the way the music is like just slightly off as well you know it just it adds to this uh yeah real like it's a really hyper feel that i like like sometimes i feel uh asking if you had that too live you know just like the guitars aren't trying to be too tight they're not trying to like they're trying to wind around each other and just be loose you know like the sake of the band is like the, the spirit the sake of the band is the the chaos you know like we we were like James would like if we'd play in someone's house, he'd be jumping off the couch onto his drums, you know, <laughs> like just that feel, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's nothing like a remarkable feat in you know in the world of music, but it that's the spirit we're going for, you know. Well, it's like you're saying though, like how you know when you try and imitate something, like I definitely there's there's songs that I'm still trying to write like uh, off that I Spy split with Propagandi, like off, oh right on, like I'm still yeah. trying to like capture kind of the vibe of those songs and the feel like and it's just like well it's something that's when it's authentic like that you can't fake it yeah exactly like i can't uh like i can't if i was to sit down right now i couldn't make those songs myself you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like sometimes you just like and i don't try either because like to me the past is what it you know like i i just feel like it's cool it's cooler to not be able to expect from yourself something, you know, like you don't know what's next yourself because you're trying to go somewhere, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like if I was to try to play I Spy songs, it'd be like, I think it would just feel not right, you know? Like it would just sound mm-hmm. like like these chords, I've heard them before, you've heard them before, What's you know? Well, that gives me room to cover a nice buy song, so that's okay then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do it, man. Yeah. Oh, uh, going back to your zine, what was your zine called? Uh, my zine was called the Lemon Cookbook. Yeah, it was not good. Like it's <laughs> like if I read it, it's, it's embarrassing. But I actually did do a good. Uh, it's actually what would have been embarrassing is if issue number two came out because, uh, like, no, issue number one, I was fresh enough that it wasn't. Uh, punishing yet <laughs> you know and the next time i'd like uh i don't like the next one would have been more derivative of like a really bad version of like no answers by god uh 
uh, from uh, Abolition, you know, or like a, but the first one is just like me trying to figure stuff out. I was listening to records, like lots of drawings in the zine, you know, they're not good or anything, but you know what I mean? Just that and an interview with Propagandi and uh, like just a few reviews of like maybe that band Tar. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> You know, like just shows I saw, you know, like I, yeah, that, yeah. So it's like, it's kind of lame, but it's, if issue, like when I, I still have issue two in my suitcase that I have here, but man, when I read through it, it's, it's shockingly terrible. <laughs> oh, and the other thing in my first scene, yeah, I, I was so into man lifting banner, that band from Holland. Yeah. I think at that, for that year, that's the other thing that I saw was really, uh, maybe influenced by in a way maybe yes <laughs> uh yeah i thought like that blew my mind so yeah there's uh i think there's something about man lifting banner in that scene well that 10 inches is like one of the best 10 inches ever you know the... yeah yeah the seven inch too when i when i first heard that seven inch i was like there's nothing like this in the world mm -hmm. <clears throat> but or or like that or and there, there was actually that period of time where like people weren't really playing hardcore anymore. Right. Yeah. So like, and then you hear, uh, or especially grind, like, like there was a little period where I would say napalm is the only people still playing grind. Like it was like an eighties thing that went kind of away, you know, like death metal took it over kind of, but then drop dead came out with that LP. Mm. Uh, man, that LP blew my mind. That's the other thing I spy was super into drop. Yeah. The drop dead but of course we didn't want to be a grind band we want to be ourselves but you can start to hear us starting to really blast away on that on that record yeah and i think that's like around the same time that i was kind of getting into hardcore is like that mid-90s period where not a lot of bands are playing fast and not a lot of bands are playing like like you know like it's it got really metallic and it got a lot slower yeah, yeah. and and that's why I think when I heard I Spy, it was like such a, like a, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for. <laughs> like, this is it. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've yeah. kept you forever, Todd. Would you come back and do a part two at yeah. some point? Yeah, anytime, man. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. It's fun talking to you. Oh, this has been incredible to talk to you about this stuff. And, and thank you for <laughs> dealing with the punishment about the uh, I Spy stuff. But um, before I let you go, I just kind of wanted to find out, like, how did you first find out about Propagandi? Was it like, like did you get the demo or was it when you moved to winnipeg the first time or yeah that's actually uh well, i moved here i moved into the residence at the university and uh there was this uh, woman mary beth taylor and uh she knew george from portage mm. and she was like uh my friend george plays in a punk band you got to go see them at the albert and i had i lived with a guy from uh like we we're just paired up together he was from india he barely spoke any English. We're in a little room. And uh, he saw, like, I was like, do you want to go? Like, I didn't know who I would go with even, right? Yeah. I was like, you want to go see this band, Propagandi? <laughs> you know? Or I said yeah. Propagandi, obviously. Yeah. But you know what I mean? And he looked and he saw Gandhi, you know? And uh, he's like, yeah, let's go. I want to see what this is. Like, like not so not in those words, but but. I guess precursoring that story by like a couple centimeters is I had uh, the Doughboys had a uh, it was CDs. No, what? I can't even remember. Must have been. Yeah, there's uh, CDs that were. There's the first CD I ever heard was the Doughboy. Oh, what am I talking about? 
No, that's wrong. Okay, edit that. The tape, you know, uh, the Doughboys tape, uh, what's uh, uh, Home Again? Doughboys Home Again? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I was listening to Home Again, and there's one song at ends, he says, Om Shanti a bunch of times at the end. And it perked up my uh, roommate's ears. I didn't know what he was saying because I didn't. I had it was a dub tape. Yeah. And he said, I think he's saying Om Shanti over and over. And I'm like, I'm like, what's that? You know? Yeah. He said it. He says it's it's an Indian. It's Indian like uh, meditating. You know? He's like I, like I say that all the time when I'm meditating. And uh, I was like, oh, that's cool. And then when he saw, yeah, that it was propaganda. Like he, we were listening. He started listening to the Doughboys with me and liked it. Like he started listening to it on his own, and then he actually got the CD, the first CD I ever saw in my life. And I actually put the CD in upside down in this <laughs> thing because I didn't know how it worked. You yeah. Know? Uh, but uh, yeah, so he was listening to Doughboys, and then so he was open to seeing like, yeah, let's go see this band Propaganda, who has like you know the name Gandhi in it and that. And uh, yeah, we went, and I I thought it was amazing. I loved it. Oh, actually. The first time I heard him was before that. This is kind of cool in a way, is that the first guy I ever went, uh, uh, like the first time I went to the Albert, this guy Derek Riel gave me a ride home. And then, then later on, I went to his house to listen to records. Now, uh, he sang for Corpus Vile, this uh, oh, yeah. rash band from the 80s. You, you know, so I was interested in Regal. He was in Corpus Vile. That's cool. I'm hanging around with him. Yeah. And, uh, we were in his basement. He put on the propaganda demo tape. That's the first place I ever heard it. He put it in his tape deck, and he said, "These guys, you should you should uh, try out for these guys. They need a bass player." This was this is before <laughs> Samson was in the band, and uh, and then he goes, he, Regal actually said he like I didn't know what kind of a guy he is a super dry sense of humor, and he goes, "Oh, they won't like you anyway. You don't drink." That's what he said. And I, I listened to the tape, and I was like, this is an awesome tape. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Uh, like, while we're listening, but I never, it didn't seem like my reality or anything to actually phone them and try to be in it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And then, yeah, and then later on, not too much long later, I saw them at the Albert with Samson, and I thought it was awesome. And I, like, from, from then, like, like, I... Like, I never thought, like, I should be there. You know, to me, propaganda just worked out perfect. Samson, uh, Jordan, Chris, you know, was just like, yeah, that's them. It works yeah. perfect. I think this is awesome. Yeah. And I, I thought they were so amazing. Did did I Spy ever come to Toronto? No, we were supposed to, but uh, we couldn't afford it, actually. We had to just cut it off and come home. <laughs> yeah, we were, we had shows booked. There's posters made. I've seen the posters, yeah. Oh. Well, I'm glad. Well, I'm not glad that you didn't make it to Toronto, other than for selfish reasons that I didn't miss the show, because <laughs> yeah. that would really bum me out. But uh, as I said, yeah. this has been incredible, and I could punish you for fucking. And we didn't even talk about swallowing shit. Like I didn't even get to. Oh. <laughs> um, but actually, before I let you go, one more question: Was Todd Von Havoc in reference to Felix Von Havoc on your credit on the swallowing shit record? On uh, I must must have been. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty certain. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't think I wrote that though, but yeah, I'm certain it must have been. Yeah. Um, and also, what? How did you guys wind up on that Hamsters compilation with Worlds Collide and all those and Ashes and all those uh, bands from kind of DC area? 
Oh, that was actually before I was in the band. That was uh, uh, Novak, the guitar player of Swallowing Shit, was in uh, this band, Silence Equals. And they were actually successfully taken into that abolition scene, sort of, on a little basement tour that went out there. Silent Sequels was pretty good. And I think they made friends with a bunch of people in, like, Philadelphia and stuff. For some reason, Philadelphia rings a bell. They came home and, uh, like, I don't know the reality of how their shows went or whatever, but, like, they came home with at least those connections and me thinking, oh, that's cool that they did that. And uh, so I think it was swelling shit with Novak on that comp. Like oh no, the- I meant I meant the uh, there's an I Spy song. Everything's on a compilation with Load, Ashes, and World Collide. Oh, oh. and is uh, what's uh, Inquisition on there too? Is no, it's okay. it's just like all these DC bands. Like that's why I, I always thought it was so weird that you oh. guys were on it. And it's actually us. Like I, that's a, what I've always wondered. I've never heard the song, so I've always oh, just kind of wondered. Oh, and maybe it's a different band called I Spy. Yeah, that's that's, what, yeah, yeah. I got to track this down now to find out if it yeah, is. Yeah, that or doesn't not. ring a that doesn't ring a bell to me. So you can edit that Silence Eagle story out too if you want. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> we'll save we'll save all that for part two. But uh, Todd, anytime you want to come back on this show, the door is always open. Because awesome, uh, man. Yeah, thanks. Nice talking to you. Thank you, Todd, for coming on the show. And you're right there. He'll be back for a part two at some point in the future. Um, and and Sulin hopefully will be on the show as well. And check out everything Propagandi does. Check out I Spy. Check out Todd's art. Oh, man. I love that band so much. Okay. On to next week's show, or next episode on the show. I'll never get used to doing two a week. Next episode on the show. This is a, this is a big one. A lot of people have asked about getting someone from this band on the show and holy this is this is a cool one next episode on the show jane weedlin from the go-go's is here that's right we talked to jane about who i think is one of the best songwriters ever her solo stuff i think she can ah she's an amazing songwriter the stuff she obviously wrote with the go-go's and but yeah we talk about a lot of punk stuff we just yeah it's fun is I was super stoked to get to do this one. There's a new Go-Go's DVD, too. Ah, the Go-Go's are like one of the most fun bands ever. The Go-Go's are one of the best fucking bands of all time. Oh, I'm stoked for you to hear this. This is coming out in a few days. Um, I, I tried to give myself a weasel there and say next week. No, it's going to be coming out in a few days. I'm going to work hard to get it up in a few days. Because I got, I got a bunch more. We got, holy, we got a jam-packed month. If you are, if you are new to Turned Out a Punk, and you think... Well, they got to get their uh, foot off the gas at some point. No, no, we are going full speed down this highway. We got, we got some, we got some guests to get to. Starting next week with Jane Weedlin. Starting this week. Starting the week before. Week before that. We were. Oh man, thank you, Tristan, for this booking. You've been, you've been uh, a real lifesaver. You know, when you, when you finally surrender yourself to the fact that your younger sibling is cool, your life gets so much better. So, all right. That's it. I love you, Tris. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous people matter. Um, we need to protect trans kids. We need to help trans people protect themselves. Uh, go out, get informed. Read about what's going on in this world. Um, you know, just just look around. Like, pay attention to 
to, you know, these aren't political issues. These are just issues of, of people's, you know, way of life, livelihood, li like, you know, just, just life in general. Anyway, go there, get involved if you can. Uh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. And, and this shit works. I got family members that have had organ transplants and stuff and yeah, sign your organ donor cards. Uh, do something creative, do something creative, get, get, get out there. Well, maybe not out there right now, but you know, get out there, write a, write a book. <laughs> That's a new one. Yeah. Write a fucking book. There you go. Try it. Try it. Do it. Uh, you know, make a movie. Yeah. Make a movie. Carve a sculpture out of marble or make a fanzine. Or make a podcast. Podcast is probably the easiest thing to do. If, if you know, making a movie might be the hardest thing to pull off. Writing a book's pretty hard anyway. But making a podcast, that's fucking easy. Starting a band's pretty easy. Takes some money, though. Anyway, do something creative. It helps. It helps your uh, mental health. Uh, wear a mask. Stay safe. I love you. Thank you to the Patreon people. Listen to Oil and Flowers with me and Buddha Blaze. Talk about cannabis. Uh, and that's it. I love you. <laughs>